Welcome to Green Eagle Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers uh, looked much different than they have in the early part of 2016 and looked more to form in what we've expected from the Green Bay Packers at least since they won Super Bowl 45. And that means multiple things, uh, but maybe the most glaringly obvious is that the Green Bay Packers... Uh, appear on offense to at least be capable of looking how we've been used to seeing them in years past. And Matt, that first drive that they had was something that I didn't realize how badly I missed. Um, We used to take it for granted. We hadn't seen it for about a calendar year, but it was nice to see those guys look so crisp, um, at least for a little while. Oh, yeah. I'm we were texting after that first drive, and it was basically everything that we had been just dying to see. I mean, not even for the last calendar year, but even before that when things had kind of started to seem a little stagnant. And it just everything moved nicely. And I think more, more importantly, even than Rodgers looking sharp, Jordy looking athletic and all of that, I think the willingness to change some of the play calls up. We saw some slants. We saw some crossing routes mm-hmm. and just some guys being open, which was a super nice change of pace. Yeah, it wasn't so much of that, you know, meander down the field and find a way to beat your guy kind of stuff that it seems like we've been seeing a lot lately. And um, one of the things that came out of this is that apparently Aaron Rodgers, after I believe it was his fourth touchdown pass, said to TJ Lang, I'm back, bleep, bleep, I think. And it kind of, I didn't get a chance to listen to the press conference, but I've heard talk from there that um, it was kind of a, he had to finally sort of reverse admit that he really was being bothered by the way that the offense had been playing, even if he kind of had a tough guy talk last Wednesday at his locker. And I'm, you know, I think he should feel that way. And it it makes sense that he would have felt that way. But how much, even if it's against the Lions, even if it's just one week, maybe you would think after a year, having been so great for five years, and then having a year where you're really just not clicking, that has to be a huge weight off of Aaron's shoulders. Oh, yeah, that's got to be super frustrating. I mean, for that last year, for a guy who basically could do anything he wanted and make put up Madden numbers, just like these insane <laughs> yeah. games, and then for a year you can't ever throw for more than 250 yards, basically, and everything seems like such a challenge. I can't ima- imagine the relief that he felt yesterday, just seeing some guys open, hitting some good throws, having good protection, you know, good play calls. It had to just feel like... You know, it's it's one game, but that feeling I'm back, it just had to feel so good. Yeah, and one guy who definitely looked back was Jordy Nelson. And that was the Jordy Nelson of 2014. It really only happened in the first half because things get weird, and we'll talk about it, but when you're up 31-3, to these guys are human, and things get weird once you're up 31-3. to It's hard to keep that throttle up and beat somebody 70-6 to like you would in college or in an overmatched high school game, but... The thing about Jordy is he had um, in the game yesterday seven or six catches on seven targets, which is very much Jordy Nelson like. 
for 101 yards, two touchdowns. Maybe the biggest thing on there is he had a 49-yard catch where he caught it over the shoulder, beat his guy deep, and then was able to juke a bunch of guys and run it down to the 10. And then he also had an over-the-shoulder catch in the end zone where he tiptoed down um, just inside the pylon, which looked like old Jordy Nelson. And it made me look, too, that he maybe has been struggling or it looked like he hadn't been playing that well up until yesterday, but he is still on pace for a monster season. He already has four touchdown passes. He's on pace for 90 catches. He's on pace for well over a thousand yards. And so it looks like he's back with the eye test, whereas maybe statistically he's never gone away this year. Yeah, exactly. I, and even so yesterday, he looked super explosive. I mean, maybe not quite to the level he was two years ago, but I'll take that shorty any day. I mean, maybe just a, a step slower than previously, but he looked more athletic than most of the guys out there still. And yeah. where in those first two games, you could definitely tell it didn't seem right, which is, it seems strange to really just get that back in one week like that. But a lot of it's confidence, too, with an ACL-type injury. You just, you got to plant, you got to sprint, and he's done that for a couple of weeks and maybe felt free to let loose against a, a bad secondary yesterday, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's obviously part of it. But I don't know. I, I think I gained a new appreciation for having such a difference maker at wide receiver that, uh, you know, Randall Cobb is good, and we've had some other guys like that. But for him to score even a touchdown every week, and he only had 50 yards in each of the previous two games, but for him to still be able to score touchdowns and get 50 yards and not completely vanish like some of these other guys did last year, even when he's not getting his feet out from underneath him, and then yesterday in almost a half being a total difference maker, um, even last year when Jordy was gone, um, I, I still don't think he was the total reason why this offense is has played the way it's played in in the last calendar year up until yesterday, but I think I gained an appreciation where maybe he's even better than I thought he was as far as to, to, to be able to produce when you're really not 100%. I think it's a mark of a really, really good player. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some really good receivers in our time. In terms of, of Packers' history over the last 20 years, I mean, his apex has been as good as pretty much anybody's. Yeah. And, and although I agree with you that I don't think he was the main reason for what happened last year, but it is kind of funny how they went hand-in-hand hand yesterday, whereas he is back looking like his old self, and then all of a sudden the offense kind of is on the exact same day. It kind of leads you to believe that maybe it's more than you and I led to believe before that. Yeah, and that's a really good point. It's kind of scary to think that it could be that simple, isn't it? Yeah, it is. There seemed like so much else wrong. but <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I guess, I mean, if you don't have any playmakers out there, it's tough to get things moving. Yeah, and uh, that's certainly true. And a guy who was a big-time playmaker yesterday is Eddie Lacy, who had his first 100-yard game in a long, long time, probably since last December at least. And uh, it's still, though, with a 31-3 lead with two minutes left in the first half, he needed to get 6.1 yards per carry in order to get his 100 yards. He only had 17 carries. The team as a whole ran 24 times in a game where they led by four touchdowns right before halftime. It's, uh, I think Eddie Lacy is definitely a difference maker, and he creates his own holes, and he looks much better than he did years before. But it's... Uh, <laughs> It's another one of those cases where, and I know the the, the offense uh, passing the ball was clicking for the first time in in a while, so they they probably wanted to just for their own satisfaction wanted to keep it rolling. But uh, gosh, it's so funny that 
I, I, I swear they could be playing in the middle of a blizzard and Aaron Rodgers will throw. Uh, well, he only had 24 pass attempts. I guess yesterday was, was a weird game. Yeah, even when they got into conservative mode, it was all still like short passes and stuff like that. I was just dying for Lacey to get more carries because he looked like he was in one of those games where he was locked in, just breaking tackles and looking like Marshawn Lynch out there, yeah. like when he's at his best. And you just like want him to get more more attempts. But I guess, you know, for a bigger guy who takes a lot of beating, it's not the worst thing to keep it to like 17, 15 carries a game for now. But, man, he was rolling yesterday and looked really good. Yeah, and it made me look back at his numbers last year, and I know conditioning was a big part of it, and he had some fumble problems, so that's part of the reason he didn't play as much. But he had 4.1 yards per carry last year, but he got 100, which is the same he had his rookie year, but he got 100 fewer carries than he got in his rookie year, which there's fat, and then morbidly obese I don't think would be enough to justify 100 fewer fewer carries than he had his rookie year last year. Um but it's a good sign. Um, I, I don't think they're all the way back, but it's the first time it's looked like that in a while, so it's hard not to get excited. Yeah, I agree, especially on top of that. We'll get into this probably more later, but you see what the Vikings did to a Carolina offense, and you're like, man, did we overreact last week? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, we went on forever last last week about how it wasn't just the one game it had been building up, but you see them completely shut down one of the best offenses in the NFL, and you kind of start to feel a little bit better about yourself because of that, too. Yeah, I think the Vikings definitely need to be given their fair share of credit for what happened last week, and and I think we were pretty fair in that, but maybe we should have given even more credit to the Vikings than we did. Um, But having said all of that, I was... A little annoyed by what happened, even though I expected it to happen. Seeing all the articles about, well, Aaron Rodgers showed us. Oh, he he showed that we were stupid for overreacting. Rob Domovsky, who writes for ESPN.com, is their Packers reporter. I have a great deal of respect for him. I think he's a great, great writer. But his article was, Aaron Rodgers' performance in Packers' win over the Lions should shush critics. No, it shouldn't. (laughs) Not completely. This is one game where you played a team that really only has two difference makers on defense and both of whom did not play. It's certainly something that should help you buoy your confidence, but if you think this is fixed because they destroyed a bad Detroit Lions team at home for essentially one half, I think that's overreacting even more so than people were for the performance last week. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you anymore on that. Um and we were talking about it yesterday. You kind of hate to see the, you love to see this in the game, but you hate to kind of see the follow up. And you hope they don't kind of revert back to what it seems like they've been the last year. This team that is just supremely confident and never thinks they make a mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's kind of nice to see Aaron Rodgers say like the "I'm back" thing yesterday because it's like, man, this guy. You never feel like he thinks he does anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like backwards, you know, just admitting something was going on and he realized it and. It, then you, you hear the media just kind of go the opposite way today. Like you said, it's one half against a bad team. Yeah. So I'm a lot more confident in this team, but I'm not nearly about to say they're out of the woods on this or that the offense is fixed after this. I think there's still a long way to go to prove that. Well, absolutely. And uh, you brought up the Vikings, and they were in the game with the Vikings, which is to their credit. But 
it's never been a problem kicking the crap out of the Detroit Lions at home. Or I mean, last year it was, and that's why it was such a huge anomaly. But it's not like they were winning championships left and right in 12 and 13 and 14 and even 11. They've always been able to kick the crap out of these suspect teams. The, the problem is they're getting 10 or 14 or 7 against these really good defense, and that's never been good enough. So I, obviously they they know that, and they should you know, puff their chest a little bit to say, uh, you know, it, they they were getting pretty slammed last week, and, and I think a lot of it was justified, provided you phrased it in the right way and you didn't go too overboard with it, but I think that they should, and I'm sure they do, understand that uh, one game doesn't mean you're fixed. Otherwise, Joey Harrington's the greatest quarterback ever if he can play 16 poor games and then have one good one. Right. <laughs> so, um. Well, the other thing that came out of yesterday that also looked like the old Green Bay Packers was the return of our really fun, soft, intermediate defense. And that front seven, um, Matt, you texted me right away, that front seven's incredible. And Mike Daniels is playing like Defensive Player of the Year. Nick Perry, if they don't re-sign him in the next couple of weeks, is going to be very expensive because he's playing like Clay Matthews right now. And it's exciting to see what those guys can do. But once you get past them, uh, it was a little scary yesterday. Granted, missing five starters. Yeah, and we talked about this last week a little bit too and that we weren't ready to panic. But that's, this is two straight weeks now where Demarius Randall has looked horrible and gotten completely exposed, yeah. which is strange because we didn't see this from him last year, um, but kind of forced into a little bigger role. And he, that's two of about the worst weeks I can remember a DB having mm-hmm. against good, not great receivers yeah. and getting torched for all-time numbers on both of their end. I mean, he made Marvin Jones look like a Hall of Famer. And, I mean, half of it was bad coverage, and the other half was kind of miscommunication in zones. We saw a few times they got roasted on that, mm-hmm. where he let a guy go deep on him, and he didn't have to do that. Um, and they, like, crash on a tight end and double-team a tight end and completely let Jones go deep. So... Really frustrating. I I don't know if the lack of Morgan Burnett there is hurting, or if he's just not ready for that kind of a, a Sam Shields like role. But I mean, they can't take much more of this. You hate to give a sh- uh, young guy such a short leash, but yeah. he's getting just destroyed. Well, I chuckled a little bit when Marvin Jones had that last score because I said last week on the podcast that the. 182 yards that Stefan Diggs got last week would stand for a while as the highest total in the league other than, uh, you know, the he was sixth highest total. It would be the highest total against the Packers for a while. And then Marvin Jones goes out and has 205 yards, the best total of his career. And I don't know if I'm frustrated or amused or what with Dom basically seeing this guy just get pounded last week and then this week saying, well... Go out back on that island. But like you said, you should expect that a guy who was as successful last year uh, could hold his own against a guy like Marvin Jones, who is good, has had some success, but he's not Des Bryant or Antonio Brown or something like that. He's not Julio Jones. He's, He's a nice receiver, but he was the third best receiver on the team he used to play for. So I... Yeah, I don't know, and it it could have been Morgan Burnett missing, but I guess you take take your lumps with a young guy, but uh, it is a little bit alarming, especially considering that they already had to move Quentin Rollins inside because he had the same thing happen to him when he tried to play outside in week one. 
Yeah, yeah, you felt so good, and I'm I'm still not ready to throw in the towel on these guys, but you felt so good last year, and right away in preseason last year, you're like, oh man, we hit hard on these guys, and then to see this in week one and week two and week three, I just, I, I don't quite get it. I mean, they're being forced on an island, like you said, which maybe they're not as used to, but it just, it's been bad. Yeah, it, it's been really bad. And I don't know, I guess I'm just going to toss it up that it's it's a law of nature, evidently, that the Green Bay Packers offense and defense has to be in some semblance of balance. And so if the offense is really, really great, the defense has to be terrible. Always, yeah. And vice versa. The only time we had it about equal, we won a Super Bowl. So that's that's how it is. So I guess I'll blame that. Um Nick Perry, do you, I kind of glossed over that, and, and Mike Daniels as well. Do you have any comments on either of those guys? Yeah, I guess it's hard to gloss over, so I'll just try to throw out some random thoughts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, I, both of these guys are playing out of their minds. I can't believe what we've gotten out of Nick Perry. We started to see it at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. But like you said, he's been prime Clay Matthews these first three weeks. Yeah, And you're at, you're at a point where he's doing all the playmaker things that we've been just begging Clay to do on a more consistent basis the last few years. And, you know, again, it's probably like an eight-week sample size, I'd say, that from last year till now that yep. he's really showing this. But it, it's kind of when he was all banged up early in his career and just couldn't stay on the field. And when he was on there, he was hurt. And you're really starting to see what they saw when they drafted him, and it's really exciting. And, um, I mean, him and, and, and Daniels in the middle there, they're just – creating this super solid defense, basically a backup linebacker and a defensive tackle who's very undervalued, just creating one of the best defenses in the league single-handedly. Yeah, they have the number one run defense in the league right now, and I think it's pretty comfortably the number one run defense in the league. Nick Perry is a half sack away from his highest season total of his career already. He's got three and a half sacks. His previous high is in 2013 when he had four. He's never played a complete season, and we'll see if he can keep it going, but I'm wondering how much longer you can wait before you re-sign him, because if he has like a Clay Matthews-like season, or or let's say he gets to double-digit sacks, or let's say he gets to 12 sacks or something like that, he as a edge pass rusher, he's going to be very expensive to re-sign in the offseason. And you almost wonder that the the kid was nice enough to stick around and take a prove it deal when he maybe could have uh tested the waters and gone elsewhere. And uh you almost wonder if you should uh uh give him a chance to uh you know, maybe do him a solid and say, Okay, we've seen enough, you dominated in the playoffs last year, you've dominated so far this season, let's talk and uh, get a long term deal. Yeah, I'd sure like to do that. I think I'm a little afraid the price is already driven up enough at this point because people are always so desperate for a pass rusher like that. Yeah. But, I, I mean, we you don't see a lot of playmakers like that, and you've kind of gotten enough of a sample size here that I think I'd be comfortable with a longer-term deal. I mean, you don't want to give the guy monster money, but you got basically younger Clay Matthews, so if you can lock that up and have those guys on the outside. Peppers isn't what he was and isn't going to be here very much longer. Um, mm-hmm. If you can get him signed up for you know four or five years, I'm – on board with that. Well, and you hate to talk in these terms, but you you can't run your cap on hypotheticals, obviously. But is Sam Shields a part of the long term plan of the Packers right now? He's he's missed what six of the last eight games they've played with concussion. 
or or maybe even more, and that's that's really scary. You wonder if and, and he's one of the highest paid players on the team, as is Julius Peppers. There's there's potential in the off season that you're going to have a lot of money to work with for not so great reasons. Well, and I think again, I. I, I'm not ready to, to go there yet, but you look at probably your four main playmakers minus Mike Daniels, obviously, who you want to stay around forever at the at the rate he's playing. But you got Clay Matthews, who's always injured. Morgan Burnett, who's missed a lot of time. Sam Shields, who's missed a lot of time. Um, I mean, these are your cornerstones. Yeah. And then a game like yesterday, you get to see some of these young pieces play, and they look great. Um, other than Demarius Randall, obviously, who'd be filling in for Shields. But for the most part, your defense ran pretty soundly, and you've got guys like making plays all over in their absence, like Joe Thomas and Jake Ryan. And uh, things look pretty good without a lot of those guys out there. What did Joe Thomas do for an offseason plan? Because it's ridiculous. He's a monster now. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how that happened. It's, he was a liability on the field last year, and then this year he's one of their best players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't get it either, but I mean, he's... He's been great in the middle. I, I think him and Ryan both have kind of solidified themselves, and which is great because you thought you were going to have to rely on Blake Martinez super heavily, and you don't have to quite as much as you thought initially. Yeah, and Blake Martinez doing the old Chuck Cecil with the – apparently yeah. he, he just <laughs> bleeding everywhere. Yeah. Oh, that makes me want to – I was going to talk about this later, but that announce crew yesterday was terrible. Um, Tom Brenneman and then uh, Charles Davis, who Davis had one where he was talking about Nick Perry and he called him Nick Barnett like three times in a row. <laughs> that he's talking about how the Packers are going to play without Blake Martinez on the field as we get a 20-second shot of Blake Martinez on the field waiting for the next play right. to begin. And, yeah, yeah go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was trying to think. that He said something like right away to start the game, and I, was, I, I can't remember what it is, so it's completely pointless. But just constantly <laughs> these things that you're like, I feel like he didn't. It was one of those guys that didn't do any research going into the game at all. They just kind of, <laughs> yeah, just wings it. Well, and Tom Brenneman has driven me kind of nuts for a while, and I know some people really like him, but he just is such like it's so cheesy because he goes so dramatic all the time. Like right away, like I think when Marvin, um, or uh, yeah, got the the long pass. Um, at the end of the half when he beats Randall for what 80 yards Marvin Jones and he was already hyping it up like well it's now just a three score game like it it's like and granted it ended up getting close but it was funny because after the Packers game ended they showed the Giants and Redskins and they showed when Eli Manning threw that interception to lose the game and Troy Aikman said well this is a throw that's going to haunt Eli Manning tonight like you could tell he didn't want to go too dramatic in his head and I feel like Tom Brenneman would have said you know someday they expect that the sea is gonna claim New Jersey and from now until then they'll be thinking about Eli throwing late over the middle against the Redskins it's just he's like that for the Reds every play for the Reds who stink is like a World Series ender it's just it works for some people but it doesn't work for me I don't know. That was a pretty good example by you. I, I didn't mind that. <laughs> I could be Tom Brenneman. It's not that hard, I guess. Okay. Um, so it is weird that we spent so much time talking about how great the defense is when they gave up 418 yards. Matt Stafford had 385 yards, 112 quarterback rating. And I guess I'm chalking that up to the missing starters for one. And also... Once I watched the other games, and we in the Green Bay market, and I'd assume it was similar out by you, got the Steelers and the Eagles, which I was able to watch back, and then the Cowboys and the Bears. And 
the Cowboys and Eagles both won comfortably with rookie quarterbacks throwing over the middle at will. And I just think the way the NFL is nowadays that yards don't matter, completions don't matter, nothing matters except third down defense and turnovers. Because every single quarterback can step on the field. Brian Hoyer, in a game where he was never closer than 10 points after the first drive he had, had a stat line that probably would have won him Offensive Player of the Week in the 90s. And he had like 315 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, 60% completion percentage. And I think... It's hard to adjust your brain to that, especially if you watch teams like Wisconsin on Saturday, but every team just spends all Sunday getting a bunch of meaningless yards over the middle and then fizzling out in the red zone. Well, yeah, I look, throw Trevor Simeon in there, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he had an insane day yesterday, too. I agree, although it was frustrating, and I think my most of my frustration was stemmed just from Marvin Jones versus Demarius Randall. I think overall the defense played pretty well. And nowadays, I mean, you'll have your blowouts like the Eagles game, but for the most part, when teams are desperately throwing and then you sit back and become conservative, that kind of stuff tends to happen. Mm -hmm. The game never felt as close as a one-touchdown game, even though that's what it ended up being. I I always felt pretty comfortable. So although you kind of get gouged a little bit in the second half, I'm not concerned about that much at all. Yeah, I would agree. And... um... Once they get all their starters back, we were worried about this early buy, and it's going to be a godsend with how many players they have injured. Jared Cook limped off. Apparently, Ripkowski got hurt. So this is almost as strange as it sounds. It's it's maybe going to be tough later in the year because I'm sure you'll have more injury spells. But this bye week, shockingly, is coming at a perfect time. Yeah. All right. So um, the only other thing that I could think of that came out of yesterday was um, Shum, the punter. Made a great, great play. and yeah, he, <laughs> saved the game. Yeah, it really did. And uh, I don't know, maybe Mastay could have done that, but that seemed a really athletic play, and I'm not sure Mastay could have got up and snagged that one. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, they were saying, I mean, you wouldn't normally know that your punter's height, but he was only 5'10", he got up there, he looked like an athlete, and somehow still got it off. Wow. I mean, that was a game changer. They were up, what, 14 at that point, I think? Yeah, yeah. And, and that would have been a touchdown, and then they scored again after that, so you never know how the game could have ended up. That's just as good as any really good punt times five. I mean, that yeah. was such a critical moment in that game, and that was um, worth mentioning for sure. I can't believe he's 5'10". I can't tell the size of any of these guys out there. Yeah. I thought Joe Callahan would have been about 5'10", and apparently he's six foot one. He's an really? inch shorter than Rodgers. That shocked me. Yeah, he seems short. I don't know what it is. If he's 6'1", how the heck didn't he end up in D1 with how good he can throw? That's just, I don't know. It's weird. Um, so I don't have a ton more for that game. I'm in a bit of a wait-and-see mode with both the offense and the defense, but they were able to pick up a win in the division. They averted the disaster. They pretty much dominated Detroit and then went on cruise control, and so I'm very happy with the win. I don't know if I think much more or less of either side of the ball, but I guess I'm more hopeful than I was last week that the offense has the potential to get back to where they used to be. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was on doom and gloom last week, and I'm kind of back now to where I was after week one at this point. I've kind of erased that from, from my memory, and I've seen some hope at least. And if one thing, I'm a little bit, I, I think the same of the Packers, but my, I won't say it was a prediction, I would say it was a, um, it was one of my famous, like, this could happen, 
but this will. That, so I cover my bases, so no matter what I say, I kind of sound smart. But that Arizona skepticism seems to yeah. have been true. And Carolina, unexpectedly, also doesn't seem all that great. And so the Packers may have just improved their position by getting back to where they, we thought they were. And while Minnesota might be better than we expected, it, uh, you know, it at least um, it looks like there might not be quite as many challengers, although one's right in the division, and that's scary. Right, nobody's clear-cut better at this point, that's for sure. I mean, you're kind of scared to see what Seattle did yesterday, We, but we knew that was coming. It's not really a shock. Mm-hmm. So I, you look at the NFC, and you think, why couldn't they beat any of these teams? I think more than, even in the last few years, even though I think this Packer team isn't as good as maybe it's, it's been, I don't think the competition is either. I no. think I think there's a couple of AFC teams you're more scared of than anybody in the NFC right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and while you have teams like Seattle and they you know, they whooped up on a terrible team yesterday, but you have teams like Seattle and Minnesota who are in front of the Packers and those are the types of teams that the Packers have struggled with forever. However, on the flip side, they're going to play you 21 to 17 every time you play them. And so if you get lucky, you have a few good bounces, you force a few turnovers, you can put yourself over the top. You're probably not going to get blown out by one of those teams, and it's not quite the same fear you have playing a team like Carolina or um, uh, Arizona, who, if they're on, can put up 40 on you. And the weird thing about all of the other NFC powerhouse teams right now is they all have garbage offensive lines, and I feel yeah. like they're all... I mean, the Vikings already... Well, I, I won't say that's their fault, but I mean, they're all going to get their quarterbacks killed. Russell Wilson looks like he's not going to make it up after every snap. Yeah. And you've got fragile Sam Bradford back there, <laughs> and you've got Carson Palmer, who's, what, 35 or 36 years old? Who 50 or 60, reason, I think. Yeah, 50 or 70 years old, and that was the reason for his downfall last year is he got all banged up. So yeah. I, I think that there's some openings here, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see one or two of those guys go down for some extended period of time this year. And that's a pretty nice matchup when you have a ridiculously good front seven like the Packers mm-hmm. do. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can keep a, get a little bit healthier. And, um, you know, you never know. It seems like injuries play more part in who wins the games than the games themselves sometimes in the NFL these days. But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And certainly the Packers are, are right in that mix. Um, one little mini crossfire. Uh, actually, I have a couple mini crossfires here. Uh, the first one is, I was thinking this yesterday, where does Matt Stafford rank amongst the number one picks in the draft? Um, I, I mean, I don't have a list in front of like, me. Like, is I would he a bust? Is, it's more of the, the idea he's is... definitely not a bust. I, okay. I would think he'd probably wind somewhere in the middle if you compiled them all. I mean, he's not a bust. I think he's... You kind of put Drew Brees in this frame the other day, but, I mean, kind of in that textbook this era like crazy passing yards but not really that good sort of a guy yeah i mean i think most teams would have taken you know a team desperate for a quarterback would have taken what he's given them but i mean that's the kind of guy that you just feel is never going to win a championship it's just all yards yeah i'd be surprised if he even gets close like i i guess i don't know and that that was kind of the side question i had to this is what is a reasonable expectation for the first overall pick in the draft and i I know the hope is always that they're going to come out and they're going to be a Super Bowl champion. And when you pick the first pick in the draft, everybody always thinks of 
Terry Bradshaw or Trey Aikman or John Elway or Peyton Manning. But the truth is, for every one of those guys, you get Carson Palmer or Drew Bledsoe or Matt Stafford, who's certainly not bad, and you're 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 not upset that you picked them, but they really never get all that close to winning a championship. I mean, Steve uh, Barkowski or Bratkowski could get thrown in there. I can't remember if it's Bart or Brat. One is Bart. He was Bart Starr's backup, and then one was Brat, and I think he was the Falcons' quarterback. I think you're right. Okay, but there's a lot more of those guys, and I guess my question is, if you were a fan of one of those teams, if you had the first pick in the draft and you picked Matt Stafford, would you be disappointed with that pick? I I think it depends on the franchise. I feel like Lions fans would say no, but I think if it was a Packers pick, we would say yes, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I, I guess that seems fair. You always hope that you pick Peyton Manning, and maybe there's a part of you that's always a little bit disappointed. But And then, again, not a lot of... Uh, the crazy fans who get really uh, upset and mad at the players have as big of a knowledge of history, so they they probably don't know who like Tim Couch is. <laughs> I would think so. And the other one is who are you more impressive with, or impressed with so far this season, Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott? Oh, definitely Wentz. Yeah. Um, I, I we talked about this briefly last week, but I cannot believe what he's doing. I I think I. I was completely wrong about the Eagles, and I think a big part of that is that defense. I think you know, with them being left on the field so much the last couple of years, we didn't. We thought they were pretty bad. It's basically the same team minus a couple of guys, and they look incredible. I mean, completely shutting down Pittsburgh. So it, the job has been easy on Wentz, but he's making throws and things at this pro level with almost no preparation that I I can't believe he's making. Mm-hmm. And you know, Dak Prescott being a fourth rounder, I guess maybe the conversion there would seem more impressive. But I think Wentz coming from a FCS school, um, no preseason time, coming in right away and doing what he's doing. I think Doug Peterson's done an awesome job, and Carson Wentz has too. Yeah, I would agree. And he's, well, they both have played some iffy competition until yesterday, although Pittsburgh has had a suspect defense at times the last four years or so. But, um, yeah, I, I would agree. He He's made no mistakes. I think they said he's the first rookie in history to not throw an interception in, in his first 100 pass attempts. But again, I, I think that's a little bit of a mark of the times rather than he's that much better than some of the other rookies that have played. But yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. And the way Dak Prescott has played, I would seriously doubt that Tony Romo ever plays for the Cowboys again, barring injury. I keep hearing that. I just, I guess I'm not going to believe it until I see it. It's tough because he's played so well, and they were just in the playoffs as super contender like two years ago, and not much has changed other than the fact that he's missed some time. I, I think he can come in and do more than Prescott can right now, that, and I guess that's why I'm more impressed with Wentz. Is it's felt a little less game managery, and I think Romo can definitely get in, get the ball to Des Bryant, and get the ball down the field. And I don't know why you'd have to rush that at this point, I guess, to keep Prescott in there when you can put Romo in. If you're comfortable that he's healthy, mm-hmm. I don't know why you wouldn't put him back in. Well, I guess it's more that you are excited about the future. You don't want to necessarily break the momentum. And I, I think people, I, I've seen both sides of this, and, and really I could see it playing out either way, but I think maybe there isn't that much goodwill built up by Tony Romo. And maybe Jerry Jones really likes him, but he made the playoffs and were a serious contender in 2014. And the three years before that, he was eight and eight and throwing a ton of interceptions in crucial times. And they've only been to the playoffs. What? Four times since he's been there. So it's not like he's Brett Favre or Dan Marino or Peyton Manning or something like that. He's been a really nice player, but 
he's kind of in that muck of the Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers type guys where they've thrown a, y- a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, but they haven't a lot to show for it. And so I, I think that if you see that this guy is perhaps the, the future of the franchise, that you'd hate to break that continuity. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I can see your point, I guess, if they're maybe like you know five and one or something like that at that point i yeah. think you kind of have to write it out but it just it's hard to see that happening to me i guess but i i, I wouldn't be surprised it's a business if they want to move on mm-hmm. i just think that he right now probably gives them a little more still yeah i think you're right um and and then if you're five and one then maybe you start getting super bowl dreams and you think you have to have tony romo in there. yeah true so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out Okay, so um, we'll do picks uh, in, a, in a minute here. We're going to have a little bit of a shorter show since we started so late. But real quick, Matt, who is the best team and who is the worst team after three weeks, in your opinion? Oh, boy. Um, I think best team, you probably have to go New England just because of what they're doing without Brady, but I could be definitely convinced with Denver as well mm-hmm. um, and maybe somebody else I'm forgetting. But I, I would take either of those teams as my Super Bowl favorites right now. And worst team has to be Cleveland, I guess. Um, I mean, you, Miami's pretty darn bad, too, when they lose to them. I, that was kind of the eliminating game, I think, for the bad teams. If Sue ever <laughs> lost that game, was probably the worst in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's hard to not say New England right now. And you admire that coaching staff for being so diverse offensively that they can adapt to so many different quarterbacks. And, and when their offense looked completely different on Thursday when they had uh, Jacoby Brissett in there, he, he played well enough that I won't call him brisket anymore. He's earned that right. But um, luckily the Packers looked good. But for that Thursday, we were texting each other, and I was very, very angry with the Packers coaching staff that they couldn't adjust when the Patriots with three days could adjust to a dude who's never played before and is completely unlike their other two quarterbacks. So I think he's there. You make a great point about Denver. Um, Minnesota, I think, has got to be in that conversation with two really big wins. Uh, Dominating the last two league MVPs in successive weeks has got to be worth something. The worst team, I think your two picks are great, the Bears. The Bears are atrocious right now, so I think that's pretty fair to say as well. And uh, lastly, before we go to the picks, where would you slot the Packers roughly in the power rankings? Um, just off the top of my head, maybe like four or five, I guess, somewhere around the four to six region. Okay, I was gonna say like seven or eight. I think, well, maybe like yeah, maybe like six, because I think they're quite quite a bit behind. New England and Denver and Minnesota and them, but I guess above that there might not be anybody else. So maybe around five. That seems fair. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, you'd maybe put Seattle ahead of them, and there's a few other three and O teams, but I don't think I'd pick any of them over the Packers right now. Yeah, God, you you wonder how bad Jared Goff has got to be, and I, I know they're winning, but to see Wentz doing what he's doing and Prescott and Trevor Simeon, who's basically a rookie, like, are you? I think we talked about this last week, but are you just that dedicated to the 20 years past date mindset that you have to let your young quarterback season himself on the bench before he's any good, or is he just not that good? Yeah, it'll be fun to see after Jeff Fisher gets fired after this year. Probably, I guess we'll know for sure when the next <laughs> regime comes in, if he plays or not. Yeah, I can't believe they're still winning. It... I can't either. After that first week, how they've turned that around, I don't get it. Well... So I maybe get half credit for the 
Arizona Cardinals not being any good, but I get no credit for expecting Tampa to be good because they're pretty brutal right now. Yeah, same thing. Like I don't, I feel like I don't get half the teams in the league right now. Everybody's two faced, and everybody's had one game that makes you feel completely different about them. And we're still not sure, like a Tampa or an Arizona or you know ten other teams. Yeah, the Packers. I just you don't know what you're going to get every week out of them because some weeks they look terrible. Like the New York Jets yesterday. What the heck was that? <laughs> Six picks <laughs> against Kansas City. Like how do you expect that to happen? It's just there's been so many weird, dramatic like both sides of the fence like really good play and then really really terrible play from teams we expect things out of well and then you get teams like the Raiders who very you know they won yesterday but they gave up a thousand yards on defense in the first two weeks and then yesterday they hold Tennessee to 200 total yards and win 17 to 10 on the road it just doesn't make any sense at all hence why you and I both went seven and eight so far this week in our picks. That's an improvement for me from the week before, though. (laughs) This is true. And that's a terrible segue into making you want to keep listening as we pick for week four. Don't gamble based on our picks. (laughs) No, these are absolutely, in big, bold letters, for entertainment purposes only. So the Miami Dolphins against the Bengals exclusively on NFL Network on Thursday. Who you got in that one? Bengals, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Miami's terrible. I don't know if I know five players on their team right now. Um, the Colts at Jacksonville, I believe that is in London Ugh. at 8 in the morning. I th- yeah, 8.30 a.m. That one's in London. Yikes. I'll, I'll make you pick this one first. Um, God, Jacksonville's just so bad, but the Colts aren't very good either. I mean, they could be 3-0, and but they could be 0-3. Um I guess I'll just take the Colts because they've done better in this series, and Jacksonville just hasn't looked good basically at all this year, other than the yeah, second you, half in the game against us. You might want to pick them if they were at home, but it's not really a home game for them either. It's neutral, so I, I guess I'll pick the Colts too. Uh, Buffalo at New England, which if Jacoby Brissett or Jimmy Garoppolo can't go, the talk last night is they are prepared to play Julian Edelman at quarterback. Not even joking. I am not picking against the Patriots again. I think I picked against them all three weeks so far this year because uh, I just keep thinking it's, I mean, that's got to be it, right? They, this is too many injuries, and they keep winning, so there's no way I'm picking against them the rest of the year. Yeah, and I feel that Buffalo team is so weird that they could just, the the whole New England game plan could be to do nothing and wait for Buffalo to make a mistake, and that would be enough to win. Yeah. So I'll take the Patriots as well. The Titans travel to Houston to play the Texans. Um, I, I guess we'll go Houston here, too. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll agree. Tennessee might be at the top of that list of weird teams I can't quite figure out. Maybe they're a little easier. They can't score. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think I've got them figured out. I don't think they're that good. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll pick Houston as well. Detroit at Chicago. I can't wait to watch this game because I'm sure I'll be forced to. Yeah, I, I think you got to go Detroit here. I, Cutler's going to be out for another couple weeks, I believe, right? So yeah. I, I, if Detroit's offense can move like they did against us, there's no way the Bears score that many points. No, and apparently John Fox will not commit to Jay Cutler as the starter once he returns. Makes sense. I guess it does. Is he that much worse no, than I, Hoyer? I'm being sarcastic. I don't think it makes any sense when Brian <laughs> Hoyer's your backup. It's not like you drafted somebody in the first round or second okay. round even. Gosh, You've got nobody back there. Why would you not play Cutler? He's much better than Hoyer. Yeah, and I think Ronnie Harrison was dogging him yesterday. Like He's just this total bum and... 
I don't know, maybe it's just his attitude, but I think those people need to hit the stat sheet and realize that he's it's to the point where Jay Cutler is being treated like he's Johnny Manziel out there and he's right. he's much better than he gets credit for. Yeah, I agree. I feel bad for him sometimes, although I am glad he's on a division rivals team as a starting quarterback forever, <laughs> it seems like now at this point, but I do feel bad for him sometimes. Yeah. I mean, certain people can't help their demeanors. He looks like a jerk out there, but whatever. <laughs> Can you believe this is his eighth season in Chicago? I can't. I was just thinking, it feels like it's, he's only been around for you know a few years, but I was like, oh man, he was he was on the team back then in like 09 and stuff? Like, yeah. He's been around forever. That's crazy to think, but yeah, I almost feel sorry for him, but I can understand it too. Carolina at the Falcons, and this is another game where we don't get the benefit of seeing the teams play. Um, man, Carolina's just, their offensive line is so bad right now, but I guess I, Atlanta's just been horrible defensively since they lost the NFC title game. Yeah, I had initially picked Atlanta at home in this one, but I'm going to switch that. I think Carolina's ticked off after that, after that game, and I think that that Falcons defense gets routed. Yeah, I agree. The Seahawks at the Jets. It sounds like Russell Wilson is planning to play with a sprained MCL, but uh, they might have had some MRIs and stuff today. I don't quite know the result of that. Ryan Fitzpatrick had, what, six total interceptions, four in the fourth quarter, and three in the end zone, uh, which, good thing you only gave him a one-year deal. Um, But if they have no Russell Wilson, I feel, ugh, I guess the Jets? I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm torn on that one too. I I'm gonna pick Seattle, I guess, to be different than you. I just have a hard time when you see a team look that good and a team look that bad to pick against that. Even though with the way the league's going right now, I'm sure the Jets will win. But I think even without Russell Wilson, I think that that Jets offense really struggles against Seattle. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll I'll stick with the Jets just to keep some variety. We've picked every game the same so far. So Denver at Tampa Bay. Uh, Denver has looked great. Tampa has looked terrible. So the way the NFL has gone this year, I am sure the Buccaneers will win. Is that your pick? It is. Okay, yeah, I, I'm i tempted as well, but Jameis Winston just can't beat up, though. He, he can't seem to get much going, and he hasn't looked that good since week one. And I'll I'll go the safe pick and do Denver here. Why can nobody protect their quarterback this year? Is it just, yeah, like... crazy. Yeah. Like, are all the good offensive linemen on, like, Dallas and, like, a couple of other teams? It just... it. I heard the announcers talking about this quite a bit with Seattle, or maybe it was on ESPN's pregame, but they prioritize, you know, the DBs and the linebackers and the quarterback, and then you kind of get, you have to sacrifice somewhere. Yeah. And a lot of these teams, they're trying to keep their playmakers around, and much like the Packers letting Josh sit and go and other teams doing the same thing, I mean, all of a sudden you've got no offensive line. Maybe it also is a strategic correction to some of the offensive trends that we've seen since 2011 that have really ballooned yards and and points in the NFL, and maybe they've figured something out schematically that can put more pressure on these quarterbacks. I don't know. Uh, The Rams at the Cardinals. Um, I'll let you pick first. I'll go cards here, right? I don't think they're as bad as they've looked two out of the three weeks this year, and I think the Rams are pretty bad, even though they're two and one. I still think the Cardinals are as bad as they've looked, but the Rams are worse, so I will pick Arizona. The Cowboys at 49ers. What used to be the best game possible in the 90s, and now it just is lousy. But it's at 325, so I'm sure it'll be the national doubleheader, and we'll have to watch it. Yeah, I I guess you have to pick the Cowboys here. I'm not certain on that at all. I could definitely see a Niners upset, but I'll go Dallas. Um, Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I just, they just don't have enough playmakers on San Francisco. I think if Dallas just plays it safe, they can probably win. The Saints at Chargers, which I would much rather watch, even though we probably won't get to. 
Yeah, I I think San Diego gets this one. Uh, I'll pick them at home. Is this the first time Drew Brees has played in San Diego since he left? It can't be, right? I would think this should have happened one other time at least. Yeah, it should have happened one other time, but I don't remember that game at all. Yeah, it would have been in 2008, I guess, or 2009, something like that. Um, I wonder how they think of him in San Diego. It'll be interesting. I will... Um, San Diego's hung tough, even with the injuries, so I'll I'll take the Chargers. Who did you take? I'm sorry. I the Chargers that. as well. Okay. Yeah. And Sunday Night Football, Chiefs at Steelers. I will take... Gosh, Kansas City. I picked him in the AFC title game, and the, every week... I I thought after the first <laughs> pick against them every week. Yeah. Well, I pick against them every week, but then they always flip flop. Like I, I thought they were done going into last week, and then they played pretty well. And um, Pittsburgh's another team where every time somebody said Pittsburgh and New England were the only teams in the NFL that they thought could go undefeated. This was one of the analysts, and then they just get destroyed by a team that nobody thought was any good going into yesterday. And so I don't know what to expect from them, but I guess I'll pick them at home. Yeah, same here. I think they bounce back. I, I don't think that Chiefs defense is that good. I'm surprised to see what they did against, um, oh god, no, the Jets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that Steelers offense is pretty good. I, I think they put up some points and win. Did I miss a? G- oh, I missed the line of games. I'm like, there must be a hundred bye weeks. So we got to go back to noon real quick. Raiders at Ravens. The three and O Ravens. Yeah, the worst three and O team maybe ever. They've had like the worst competition so far, and they have not looked good, but somehow have won them all. Yeah, I'm gonna pick the uh, the Raiders here just for law of averages. Um, I, I I hate to agree with you again, but yeah, I have to. The Ravens looked like they should have lost all three games against real bad teams, but they've won in them all. Speaking of bad teams, the Browns at the Redskins. It would have been RG 3s return to Washington, <sighs> but uh, instead it'll be Cody Kessler. Although, did you see Terrell Pryor yesterday? A hundred yards yes, receiving. That was pretty awesome. He's the first guy in the history of the league, I think. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but he had 20 yards rushing, 30 yards passing. and was a, some old like Lions quarterback from the 80s, or, or running back, I think they said. Well, Frank Gifford did the rushing, passing, and receiving milestones, and he's the first guy ever, I thought, to do the receiving and passing. Okay, it was, there was some bum that running can't be back possible. from the Lions, some generic named guy yeah. who had done it as well, I guess. But he was the... I, I watched a lot of that game, and they were, kept showing it on red zone because they kept scoring. And tr- I'm a big Terrell Pryor fan now. I got to say that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean his pregame comments saying about how he'd do whatever he could to help the city win, and then come out and play like that. That gives me goosebumps thinking about. It. Yeah, I wonder if he'll play any. Qu- well, I, I would imagine he'll play some quarterback because Cody Kessler didn't look all that great. But yeah, might as well. But I'll pick the skins here. Yeah, I'll agree. And on on Monday Night Football, an old-school, actual good Monday Night Football matchup, the Giants at Minnesota. Hmm. I really want to pick New York here. I kind of wish they weren't in Minnesota. So I think uh, I'll pick the Vikings. I, Eli will probably throw a bunch of picks. Yeah, i got to agree with you there. This is the ty- type of team that the Giants tend to wilt against, and they don't have the defense to support them like they used to. What do you think of Odell Beckham throwing a temper tantrum on the sidelines and knocking himself in the face with the kicker's net? Yeah, that's pretty funny. I, I actually just saw that like five minutes ago for the first time. Everybody was talking <laughs> about it all day, and I just happened to catch it. So I didn't get to see much of that game yesterday. I heard it was kind of an even battle, though, but it, apparently Beckham kind of lost his mind again. Yeah, him and Josh Norman have some weird thing going on, but... Uh, ben McAdoo came out today and said that he's got to compose himself better on the sidelines, and um, 
you got to listen to Ben McAdoo because otherwise he'll uh, put you in his van and you'll never be seen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the Packers have no game, so we're not sure what to do about uh, the, the podcast next week. So uh, if you have any ideas for anything you want to talk about, um, you can share them on the Facebook page. And I'm not sure yet we'll do a show, but if, if somebody's got some cool idea, maybe we'll do that. But uh, it'll be nice to let the Packers heal up, but I don't know if I'm ready to not have a Packer game this early in the season. Yeah, just uh, it'll be nice to just sit back, watch some red zone, enjoy the other teams. I, that's kind of how I felt yesterday before that game. I was like, I sort of wish they don't play because I'm just going to get stressed out and ticked <laughs> off, and then they just happen to play their best game of the year. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. It'll be nice to just kind of impartially relaxing and watch some other teams play. Well, and we'd be a little remiss if we didn't talk about the Badgers a little bit, who destroyed Michigan State. Yeah, awesome. Um, talk about a front seven that's on fire right now. Those guys are ridiculous. I, they're obviously as good as any defense in the country. I mean, to do that against LSU and Michigan State is incredible. Mm-hmm. So I, I, they could beat anybody. They get Michigan this weekend, right? Yep. I mean, you could see them winning that game. Not that they're going to be favored again, but I, they could shut down any offense they play, which is really exciting about this team because I think now that their offense has a good enough chance to put up some points on pretty much everybody too. Mm-hmm. So I, they could have something special this year. Yeah, I, I don't have high hopes for Saturday. They certainly could win, but you just would think that eventually they're going to lose to one of these good teams. But how great would it be to have that Camp Randall uh, game against Ohio State and, gosh, it, probably get college game day at Camp Randall if they were able yeah. to beat Michigan. Um, I'm most excited. I, lo- I love that defense. It's awesome. Uh, they're going to play a few of those guys in the NFL, I'm sure, especially when one of them's last name is Watt. But I am really excited about Alex Hornibrook because – He's not going to face a tougher stretch than he's going to face this year, probably for the rest of his Badgers career. And he's here three more years after this season. And so there's a chance that um, he's probably never going to be as good as Russell Wilson. But if he's as good as he is now, he could easily be the most productive and perhaps winningest Badgers quarterback in history. Well, yeah, I mean, he's going to probably break records if he can keep this up. He's already the best quarterback they've had since John Stocko. Yeah, other than Russell Wilson. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Stocker was before Wilson, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, since Russell Wilson, I guess then. But, I mean, he's making some bad decisions from time to time, but he's a freshman, and to hit some of these throws he's doing, he's already on par to be something that we haven't had very often as Badger fans. There's been a lot of bad quarterback play. That third down to Jazz Peavy in a double coverage was nuts. I mean, yeah. you don't see those throws from Badger quarterbacks basically ever. Even even guys who are really successful, like Scott Tolzien, wasn't making those throws. So that's really exciting. Um, I, I Obviously, we hope they win. It's going to be a tough one to go. I'm almost worried they're going to win the next two games and then lose to Northwestern or Illinois or something like that. Right. Um, but we'll see. Um, clearly, the program's going in the right direction. So um, we talked about next week. Uh, we're not sure, but if you have some ideas, throw them out. You can do that on the Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can tweet at us, at Green Gold Forever. Uh, that's the number four. You can go to the Podbean page and listen to the complete archives, where you're probably at right now if you've listened through Facebook. Or you should download the Podbean app and follow Green and Gold Forever Podcast on the Podbean app, where you can get our complete archives. iTunes also has the Podbean. Podcast, so you can search for it on there if that's your preferred podcasting uh, 
app, but that only gives you about the last 10 episodes, whereas the Podbean one gives you the entire archive. So if you want to hear us be really sad after the 2014 NFC Championship game or think the sky is falling after Aaron Rodgers hurts his collarbone, or if you want to hear us uh, celebrate after Aaron Rodgers hits Randall Cobb to win the division in 13, all of that's on there on the Podbean app. So I encourage you all to download that. So it's a bye week uh, right at the right time, but uh, at least for the first three weeks of the season, the Green Bay Packers are about where we expected them to be, and that's right in the mix in the NFC. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and enjoy the stress-free week of NFL football coming up. Take care, everyone.